And then they'd be like, oh, you look down the corridor of time. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Well, since you bring it up, let's talk about two people. Hold on. One, just before we leave the subject of people being jerks and using Reformed theology um, as a way to beat down other people, um, John Piper get, has a, like, five, yeah, five or six part lecture on these different points probably does a lot better job than we do at it, but at the beginning before he starts talking about them, he says that um, I don't view these things as ways to win arguments, right? Like, I, these are not for you know, haha, I'm right, you're wrong. These are for um, showing and explaining and um, and ways to worship the beauty and powerfulness of God. So, like, if that's not your main goal with it, there's you got something wrong. Right, and that's a good point. This is not a sport. Right. It's not just you know we shouldn't just do this for fun to poke holes in people's theories. It is, it is evangelism, because if someone is not adhering to these doctrines, and, and I say this not out, not out of a spirit of arrogance, but out of a spirit of faithfulness to Scripture, if they're not adhering to it, that means that they're not fully embracing the truth. Now, it may not mean that they're outside of Christ. Right. We all have different journeys. We all have different um, speeds to which we're brought to this understanding. Uh, we're all given different measures of faith, so I'm not by any means saying that someone who is um, someone who doesn't fully accept or understand these doctrines, I'm not at all saying that they are not a Christian. However, we are called to spread the word, to, to teach. Jesus said not only um, to go through all the nations, baptize them, he says, teaching them all that I've commanded you. That's a lot. It's not just the ABCs of salvation and then, you, and then you're done. Right. Teach all of it. Teach everything. And so if someone is not grasping this, we keep going. We keep laboring. And the point is not to just poke holes in their theories and laugh at them. The point is to labor in love to bring them closer to the truth because in this truth there is freedom and there is access um, there is a greater understanding of the love which God has for us and so it is it is a labor of love it is a gesture of respect when we do this in a loving and kind way with our brothers and with people who who don't know anything of the gospel so that should always be our attitude but speaking to that theory of um, God looking forward in time to elect those who would choose, choose him, which this really is relevant to the un unconditional election as well, um, there are two sets of two people that I think are relevant to talk about here, um, which again, this is also, these are also examples of particular redemption and a limited atonement. Um, We'll just take them chronologically. So according to Romans 9, we have the example of Jacob and Esau. And God is specific there that he chose the younger. 
Now, in reality, they were twins. But, of course, Esau came out first, so he was considered to be the older. But I think it's really telling and important that they're twins. So, seemingly, you're dealing with two equal people. Um, if God had gone by merit to choose one of them, he would have chosen Esau. Um, Jacob was a jerk. He was a manipulating supplanter. He was an awful person. Esau probably wasn't great. I mean, they were both totally depraved. But on paper, Esau would have been the one he chose. And it specifically says in Romans 9 that regardless of that, because it was before they were born, verse 11, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. I don't see how you can get any clearer than that. It is Paul went out of his way in this example to say it is not because of works period whether it's anticipated works or completed works it's not any of that it was chosen simply so that God's purposes would continue and like I, I feel like you really hit it on the head with just the works part because if you really believe that it's up to you to choose or to say yes, that is works. Right. Right. You're not, there's no real faith in that. And salvation based on future works is still salvation based on works. Exactly. Which is not what any orthodox Christian believes. Um, <clears throat> so that's one group of people, Jacob and Esau. But then you also have Judas and Peter. Both of them rejected Christ. Both of them had a proximity to Christ. Both of them were told the same things. They were exposed to the same truths. They witnessed the same miracles. Both of them were warned by Christ about their betrayal. But only one was redeemed. And it sucks the most for, I think anyways, for Judas, because back to John 17, it says he was the only one that was ever lost. Mm -hmm. uh, for that to be your lot in life. Right. So if you are two people, you really can't make a case. Um, I guess you could, but it would kind of be pointless to try to compare the works of Peter versus Judas. Um, I mean, you could maybe try to argue that Judas's betrayal was somehow worse than, than Peter's, but that really just becomes a semantic argument. It becomes an opinion kind of thing. They well, both betray Jesus. As I was gonna say, it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that it's like two arguing about who's more dead. Right. It, it's it's really it's the it's similar to that. It's just like. They both, like you're saying, they both rejected Christ. Why does it matter right. who, whose was worse? I mean, it's awful either way. That and right, I would kind of argue that Judas betraying Jesus was more important, you know, because he's through that betrayal, Jesus went to the cross, and thus drank the cup of wrath for all of us. I don't, know, I don't really know how to word that in a way that doesn't sound like that's 
but you're like applauding yeah. Judas's betrayal. Yeah, like, good job, Judas. You. Yeah. Uh, I know what you mean. Though. I get it. Yeah, yeah. So, right. But again, you're you're really just kind of getting into, you know, more and more of an opinion and and semantic kind of arguments, because you can counter that with, yeah, well, this is the one thing that Judas did, but look at how many stupid things Peter did. Yeah. Um, but anyway, not getting into that, just the the thousand foot view or whatever, however many thousand, whatever they say, the bird's eye view there, is you've got two men. Who were followers of Christ, and by followers of Christ, I mean they followed Jesus, like they they walked behind him, yeah. they physically followed him, and they both betrayed him. But one of them was redeemed from that betrayal, and the other was not. And you see this pattern over and over and over again in Scripture. Saul and David, right? And okay. Look at look at what Saul did. He he did some wars that he wasn't supposed to do. David murdered. Yeah, sent a man off because he wanted to sleep with his wife. And among other things, you know. So it's in the end, it's not about comparing the works. Solomon, man, how many women did he sleep with? I don't think I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> and so again. Not to say that these things that they're doing are okay, they're not, but it literally is to magnify the grace that is being given by God. And it is so that no one may boast, because let's take Peter again and compare him to John. Okay, John, you you could make the case that he was the most faithful of the disciples. He was the one whom Jesus loved. He was the one who was he was there for him when everyone else ran away and Peter literally with with violence and swearing was like I don't even I don't know who that man is and yet they are both apostles they both are privy to the same redemption yeah. and people seem to hold Peter in a higher regard as far as the church goes like he can like, he was considered to be the leader of the apostles. Right. Um, so, in, you know, they don't, there's not a rank there to them, and, that, and that's the point. If you could rank them, it wouldn't be how Jesus ranks them, and that's what you see over and over in Scripture. And that is... I'm getting off on a tangent a little bit, but I don't care. That is a, re- a repetitive theme throughout Scripture, is we constantly try to rank people, and God confounds that ranking. And I, there, I love this moment, and um, it's a short story by Flannery O'Connor. I believe it's Revelation, but I'm not sure. But I know that... John wrote Revelation? Not, 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 not It's not the revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's Revelation written by Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> Let me specify. And there's a, a woman, the the main character, super racist, super like just a bad person all around. And she reaches this point where she's, she's just so angry with God. And I may be butchering this story completely. Um, but she's angry with God because she's seeing all these people that she thinks are beneath her. 
getting basically like getting extra getting more that that she's not getting and so there's this moment when she yells back at god you take you put that bottom rail on top there will still be a top and bottom in other words all right you can take the bottom people and you can make them you know you take the poor people and you can make them rich well they're still rich and poor but that's the point in god's kingdom there's not like we are all we are we all stand equally condemned we all stand saved by the same blood before Christ right. that's the parable I don't remember what the what name we've given it um, Jesus is like yeah so I hired some people <coughs> at the beginning of the day and then I hired some people in the later in the day and guess what they all got paid the same Right. Just to butcher it. It's not as poetic, but... No, yeah, I mean, that's the point. And so, when you when you begin talking about the limits of atonement and the God being particular with whom he redeems, it's often out of that, I guess, perceived sense of goodness and fairness that we all have, that we kind of project onto God right. we feel like that violates it in some way because and, uh, and that it really is to who he wills it to because uh, Paul Saul who became Paul was for all intents and purposes Hitler right? he was persecuting uh, the Jewish people and Christian and murdering them and he was like stop Saul you're not Paul you're mine now go tell the gospel I mean he literally converted a murderer people who were a person who was killing his followers right that makes no sense to me except to be just the flags be like oh <laughs> like yeah. yeah you see this guy who's messing with me he's mine now <laughs> <laughs> right and so I get that this is a controversial doctrine but sometimes if I'm not thinking about it too hard I forget that it's controversial because it seems like the most basic thing when did we ever th I mean did we ever think that it wasn't limited I've never been a universalist I've never been taught universalist teachings I've never I've never believed that everyone was going to be saved. I never thought that's what the Bible was. I never thought that's what it said. So narrow may there be that find it. Right. So, you know, when I when I first set out to study the doctrines of grace, I did balk at this. I did balk at limited atonement, but it was almost out of a sense of obligation, like I had to at first. <laughs> because I thought I should but then when I really just thought about it it's this moment where of course of course God only died for a group of people but it, again it's that who, who is that group it's not anything that gives us the ability to hold it over someone else's head and it's not anyone that we we're not privy to that knowledge 
And that's another reason why we can't just not go evangelize. Right. We don't know who that is. And that's that's my interpretation of Hebrews, I think it's in 13, when it talks about um, don't neglect to show hospitality to, to strangers because in so doing, um, you may be entertaining angels unaware. So that verse is often used to talk about these mystical encounters when it turns out that you're actually talking to, you know, a floaty heavenly being that was that looked like a person. Now, that could be literally true. There are other places in scripture in which angels as in the um, the winged messengers from God have had the appearance of a man and they've interacted with people. That's happened before in scripture. So that is a possible meaning of that text. However, given the context of that chapter and the context of Hebrews, I, I think this makes a lot more sense. That term angel, angelion, um, or ang angelos, whichever one it is, I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I've taken Greek. But that term could mean the messenger sent from heaven, but it could also mean a preacher. That same term is used to describe preachers in scripture. Pastors, messengers of God's word. And so you may be in entertaining a messenger of God's word without knowing it. And so my mind goes here. I think about the followers of the way who interacted with Paul before his conversion and how much of an effect that had on him later in his life. I wonder, and this is just totally just me speculating, but I just wonder what interaction, if any, he had with Stephen. I know he was there. Did they speak? Was Stephen kind to him? I don't know. But when we are speaking with people who are strangers, we don't know their lives, we don't know who they are, we should never neglect to show them hospitality, especially when they know that we're followers of Christ. Now, we don't always wear a t-shirt saying, hey, I'm a Christ follower. But for the most part, that should be pretty evident in our lives anyway, so this should just be generally true of any moment in our life that we're representing Christ. We are Christ followers wherever we go, and that should be fairly evident. And so when we're interacting with people, even if it's not true then, even if they are in a, a state of rebellion or they are in a state of that they haven't been they have not yet been regenerated those people may by the grace of God be regenerated later in their lives but and what we have said to them what we have done to them bears witness to that bears witness to Christ so we may be entertaining angels we may be entertaining message messengers of God without even knowing it they may already be messengers of God. We may just be sitting next to them on the bus. If we can be encouraging to them, then we're furthering the kingdom and doing that. And so when we speak about election, when we speak about limited atonement, 
we don't have these super secret tattoos that we can all mm-hmm. show each other or you know secret symbols where we can tell who's elect and who's not one day there will be though this 666 will be for the ones who aren't wait no not that not, not west side oh that's an E okay point of, point, point of clarification <laughs> you guys don't see them Right, they're, they're, uh, it's just me. Yeah. What's the term for that? They're posting? <laughs> what's the term for that? Schizophrenia. But, yeah. um, <laughs> I, but yeah, I don't know. I Scripture does talk about there being a mark. Uh, there's, you know, there's a mark of the beast that you read about in Revelation, but. Isn't it like the opposite of that? But there, there is a mark of God that God has written his name on our foreheads. Um, it talks about that in Revelation it talks about that in other places as well which we can talk about much more in another season Um, but that's not a mark that we can see with our own eyes Um, so it's not that we're just going around looking like if God does not hold out and, and only share with people that he perceives will accept him then we shouldn't either like that that's the thing we don't believe that God says alright I'm only going to share with you if you'll accept me so we shouldn't do that either we present the gospel to, to everyone to anyone and everyone because it is, it is it's an unconditional presentation for an unconditional election. Understanding, though, that the atonement there will be limited, that not everyone who hears the word will receive it. Some will fall on the the path. Some will fall on rocky ground. Some will fall on thorny ground. But then some will fall on fertile soil. Uh, Paul may plant the seed, Apollos may water, but it is God that provides the growth. Right. So, those go hand in hand, and and irresistible grace, they all go together, and they all, they all encourage our evangelism, and they empower our evangelism, because when we are sharing the gospel with people, and I don't just mean a hit and run, I don't mean we throw a track at them and we don't see them again. I mean when we are laboring in love in a person's life, when we are building those relationships, building those connections, I mean months, years. Even into discipling. Yeah. Not just sharing the gospel. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and just share the gospel. Just share the gospel and and move on and don't. Go and make your visits. (laughs) <laughs> right, go on Monday night visitation. Yeah, he didn't say that. That's exactly. Uh, no, nope. <laughs> nope. go and make disciples. And, and so we are encouraged, though. We're encouraged that God's election is unconditional. That means that we go to everyone. There is no condition that we look for that says that person is the one that's going to accept Christ. That person is the one that we share with. Our our evangelism should be unconditional because the election is unconditional. But we are encouraged, even if people reject Christ, because we know that that atonement is limited. We know that not everyone who hears the word will, will receive it. And again, it's not up to us. 
Right. There's no reason. I mean, like, I won't say any reason to be sad about it, but it's eternity. But like, that's, you know, it's not because we're going to do it. Um, so I have, I would like to kind of talk about whenever I first heard about uh, Reformed Theology, Calvinism, whatever, what have you, whatever you'd like to call it. As long as you don't call it wrong. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going edit, to. Edit that. Nope. That's my as long as you don't edit us <laughs> telling you to edit it. I won't. Anyways, um, <clears throat> So Dusty uh, was the one to introduce it to me, or at least by name. I was kind of being slowly shown it through uh, a guy who was discipling me before Dusty came on, and um, it was on this. Right for the most part, everything like it just made sense. Like okay, if God's all powerful, and if sin is real. You know, all these, all the whole doctrines of grace as a whole made sense, right? Even this one, and I think um, it was a gift of faith that I was just like, I didn't just straight out reject it. But I did have one question pertaining limited atonement and election, um, and it had to do with babies. So, would you like to discuss that? <laughs> Because like, that's literally where my mind went very I first will, time. I, I will this. briefly discuss it, and I will say that I won't do it justice because that merits a very long discussion, I think, and a very nuanced discussion. But I will say with this, as I said with the other thing, you know, people, if, if, they, if they've grown up outside of a civilization or something like that and they've never heard. Right. So, number one just fundamental, foundational, no one is saved except through Christ. Right. He is the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through Him. So that is foundational. Not even babies. No one comes through the Father except through Christ. Also, no one is righteous. No one is pure. No one is innocent. Not even babies. And we've talked about that in, in total gravity. Um, babies are cute, but they're not innocent. And this this same set of beliefs, I think, also refers um, or is relevant to situations in which someone is mentally incapacitated. You know, perhaps they don't progress mentally past a certain age. Um, or, you know, maybe they do and then they, they have regressed somehow. There's a, a trauma of some sort. And, you know, blanket statement for all of those situations in which they don't have their full mental capacities in some way. Um, I, I think we get this one picture in our mind of, of how salvation works. Like, yes, salvation is through Christ and through Christ alone, through faith alone. But we get this one picture in our mind of, of how that works, which is typically where, where we're from someone preaching a sermon they play just as I am and you walk down at the right time won't you come and won't you come <laughs> what's preventing you from coming today right um, and of course babies don't do that because they're babies you know or someone who is 
someone who dies at a young age or someone who's mentally incapacitated. They don't do those things. They don't walk an aisle. Um, but we don't believe that baptism saves anyone. And so, you know, we don't have that as a hope either that, that christening someone or um, even them being a member of a church. We don't believe those things impart salvation. I will say this, and, and I should also say just, just as a blanket statement, I don't have a definitive answer to this. All I can do is, is uh, explore what scripture says. And I wish there were a verse that says, just so we're clear, here's what happens to babies. Just so we're clear, here's what happens to those without their full mental faculties. But it doesn't. It doesn't say that verbatim. So we have to wrestle with the text and we have to seek and search. I know that it is without question that anyone who is saved, anyone who is with Christ in heaven, it is only by God's grace. I know that it's not, it's also not based on works. A profession of faith is a work. It is a work that comes with the grace and the mercy that we receive, but it is a work. So it is not logical to say that a profession of faith, the, the statement out loud of faith, must be present for someone to be saved. I think it's fair to say that that's going to be there in 99% of cases. But it's not logical to say that you cannot be saved without verbally saying out loud your faith. Um, because that is a work, and that would be works-based theology. So the question then uh, comes back to who, whom does Christ choose? Whom does his, does his blood cover? Does Christ elect babies? Does Christ elect those who are incapacitated, who uh, cannot understand their sin? simple answer is I don't know I just don't if I had to guess and it is only a guess I see a clear attitude that Christ has towards little children, little children towards babies towards the poor towards the humble poor in spirit which is that they will inherit the kingdom so if I had to guess I would guess that God elects those in those situations. I believe, for example, abortion being one of the, the most heartbreaking uh, realities, both in our time and in any time, because it's always been with us, I believe that those are real human souls. So wh what are they? Where are they? I don't know. Uh, I, that, yeah, that would be my guess as well, considering how he feels about, like, Jesus is like, anybody who screws with little children, you know, it's better for them to tie a millstone to their neck and jump into the ocean. Right. Versus what's going to happen to them on the day of judgment. Right. And then also, like, one of the main points of, hell or the lake of fire um, is to display the wrath and the power and the might of God 
and again, you know, I can't say with complete certainty that it, he wouldn't. Um, but personally, I don't see how throwing babies or mentally handicapped uh, people into that displays that very well. And again, I know I'm not good. I'm, or I don't define what is good. So you know, I take you know, I say that with that grain of salt. Salt. Right. Well, it's it's based off of both of what what both of you all said is based off what you do understand about the character of God that is that has been definitely said. So it's so like what Dusty you were saying. You know, we can't be dogmatic in the sense we can't give a definite answer because there's not a definite answer, but. It, 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 I do think it is safe to say that it is a good it's an educated guess it's not like you're just it's not right. like you made up this whole fake like age of accountability thing where it's right. easy like oh well they're too they, they aren't <laughs> able to understand and therefore they cannot be held responsible and for the record I will say definitively there is nothing in scripture about an age of accountability for sure along with the sinner's prayer along right. with I mean there's a lot of things that aren't that aren't in there altar calls um, you know all of those things, but uh, it, it's it's I think it's a a safe thing, or, or or I mean, you know, some people might look down on that, but I mean, it's a, it's a very well educated guess. I, I'm inclined to agree, and that seems to rest pretty well with me as far as I mean, because like what you're saying, I, is it possible? Would he do that? Could he do that? All right, sure, yeah, you know, but it doesn't seem to fit in what the intent and purpose. It doesn't seem to fit with his character, but we might be wrong. I don't think we are in that regard, but it might be. Right, and so all just to go back and make this crystal clear to reiterate this, there are no innocent babies. There, there are no innocent people who are mentally handicapped. Now, we may use that term, and I think it's okay to use that term um, if if we are conditional with that term. In, in comparison to us, they are innocent. In relation to us, they are innocent. But according to God's law, according to God's standards and His expectations, they are not innocent. So, I'm okay with using those terms. I'm okay with saying somebody's a better person than you know, to, to use that with discretion, and of course never as a reason for boasting. But, scripturally and ultimately speaking, there are no innocent babies, there are no people who are otherwise hindered who are innocent. We must be foundationally um, accurate about that. And, it's also important that even in those cases, in which, um, you know, a child doesn't make it full term. A child is not born. Well, they've not, that child hasn't done anything. That child hasn't acted. Go back to Romans 9. God's election was determined before birth. Right. Scripture is very clear about that. His election was determined before birth. He literally knits us together in our mother's womb. Yeah. Um, and and there is still a condition of sin present, although there have not been a there's not a commission of sin, 
the condition of sin is still present because it is a it is a universal fallen cursed condition that we're under so it's important to have that nuance there there is a need for salvation in those cases and God would be just not to provide that salvation that's hard to swallow but we must be faithful to what scripture says he would be just not to provide that salvation there is a need for salvation but I think it's consistent with the character of God it's consistent with what was revealed about God in Christ that he does elect that he does hold a special place for those children and for those individuals and it, it again it is not based on any merit or favor in them but for the purposes of God's election for the purposes that he that he has chosen that, that he's determined according to his sovereign will and wisdom so that's what I think about that Sorry. well that's more biblically faithful too in the sense of um, if if uh, if there is an unconditional election if there is um, you know uh, the, the condition of sin to deal with the the when we're talking about like unborn children or, or babies that pass away and we're talking about how in the Bible there's you don't there's not like there's not like a sinner's prayer there's not like a, a, a profession of faith present it's that the call is to believe is right. to is to is to receive and believe like you, you the, the truth is revealed to you and you simply do believe um, so it, it's and that's and that's obviously like with people with adults that that you know have the I guess ability to do that it just is something that God just does um, so if there is a, an unconditional election right that is is way more biblically faithful than flipping it the other way and saying oh you have to you have to make this choice you have to choose to accept Jesus because in that case babies will go to hell right. or mentally handicapped people go to hell right. but then they have to create this this extra biblical thing about the age of accountability and it's just it's like you're right. having you're creating problem your solution has created a whole additional problem yeah. instead of just saying yeah. maybe yeah. maybe it's not this maybe there isn't a maybe you don't have to pray or send a prayer maybe you don't accept Jesus in that sense maybe God just saves you like right. and you just believe the truth is revealed in whatever manner that that occurs right that's a thought I just had and I had to say I don't think it fit at the tail end of what you just said but no that that's a good point that if you're it doesn't normally fall this neatly but if you're comparing Calvinism versus Arminianism for example and most people who don't know to use those terms would probably fall in between those two. Yeah. They wouldn't be hardcore in one they camp or the other. Molinism. But um, yeah. if only hardcore Arminians or Arminists are actually like right would use that term. Right. Like that's how you know that they really mean it if they yeah. use the term. If they use that term. But it if you're 
looking for a belief which allows for babies to be in heaven. Which, of course, is not how you approach any belief. You don't go shopping for beliefs that, you know. But if, for the sake of argument, (laughs) if you are looking for a belief that provides the possibility that babies will be in heaven, the only belief, to my knowledge, other than universalism, that scripturally, without gymnastics, provides for that is Calvinism. Because it says that God elects whom he elects. And it's not based on anything they do. So you don't... So it doesn't matter that babies haven't done anything. It's an unconditional election. If it were contingent upon you to cry out to God for salvation for him to save you... Then all babies would... There would be no hope for a child. Or for anyone with a limited mental capacity. So that that is an interesting point because a lot of people would believe that and yet reject the doctrines of grace. Mm -hmm. Well, and in that point, they want to... I think what that boils down to is that they want to believe that for convenience. Yeah. Right? Like, they they want to be like, oh, of course, they're innocent. You know, those people are innocent and they're taken care of and at that point it's like I'm going to take this one part of this thing and because it's because my belief system doesn't allow for this but then the rest of it you know whatever right one um, I guess last thing that I'll say about limited atonement of course there is much more that could be said but one last thing that just one like nuance that I want to pick pick out with this is that sometimes when you hear the term limited atonement you might get the sense that it is limited in the sense that it's running out you know you you hear like spots are limited you think oh well you better hurry up or you're going to miss your chance who who believes that is it Jehovah's Witnesses yeah they originally when the movement started they they like, okay, there's going to only be 144,000. Yeah. Well, then at some point, they realized that their church, their denomination, holy crap, far exceeded 144,000, yeah. and then they changed their official ch- church do- right. doctrine, and then they were like, okay, well, the 144,000 are a special group within the wider yeah. of Jehovah's Witnesses. I've, I've talked about limited atonement with somebody, and they're like, like the Jehovah Witnesses, I like no, that is not, not what, not what I mean. <laughs> right. So, nowhere in Scripture will you see that um, there is at least revealed to us a number of people. Of course, God knows the number. He He chose them. He decreed it. But I just to further drive home the point that we do not know what that limit is. We do not know who is atoned for and who isn't. We don't know who is elected and who isn't. So there is no scriptural basis anywhere for us, first of all, to deny the gospel to someone, to neglect to share the gospel with someone. Um, and there's there's no biblical basis at all for us to, to say, oh, well, this person is definitely atoned for and this person is not. I think the parable of the sower is crucial in driving that point home because, of course, the seeds that fell on the path 
you know that that's not going anywhere. But the other three, at, at one point in time, they all could have looked exactly the same. And of course only one out of those four scenarios um, actually grew up to produce fruit. And so the proper interpretation of that parable is that out of the four, only one is truly in Christ. Only one um, abided, abode, whatever. So, was with Jesus. Yes. <laughs> when in doubt, change the no. word choice. Just change the whole one. Um, so yeah, if if people uh, try to give you crap about limited atonement, just quote John three sixteen. That's what I do. I'm sure that is very unsettling for people. It is. They're uh, like, what? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> but right. That's, that's my thing. Are you a prophet? Right, well, that's <laughs> what I've actually done. So, I had this happen to me, actually, and I, I'm not going around confronting people about the doctrines of the grace, but I had a man in a church that I was serving in one time. He found out that I adhered to the doctrines of grace. And he confronted me in the front of the church um, at the beginning of a church service he walked the time and place right he walked right up to me in the front of the church and he said I heard that you believe only a certain number of people are saved and I was like um well that's hello how are you <laughs> welcome <laughs> to evangelical Christian well what do you think about John three sixteen? for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I said, I think you should finish that verse. Whoever <laughs> believes in him. I said, yeah, th there's a limit right there. Whoever <laughs> believes in him. <sighs> and that made him very angry and he walked away. <clears throat> so. Well, the truth. It's like, wait, I can't argue. No. Yeah. <laughs> so. Again, it's not about winning arguments. It's not about trying to make people look stupid. Although, you know, if they're making themselves look stupid, by all means, step out of the way and let it happen. But <laughs> it's not about chasing people down, trying to beat them over the head with theology or think you're better than them. It's about bringing them closer into the truth. If they, if they believe that they had a hand in their salvation that means that they're not fully grasping the goodness of God. They're not fully grasping that glory. That should hurt. That should bother us. That means they're not fully grasping the grace that was given to them. And that means that they're under a lot of pressure, too. If they believe that they had a hand in their salvation, likely they believe they have a hand in keeping it up. And we crush under that kind of pressure. We can't live up to that. And so we have this message of hope to give to them. We have this message to encourage them that a loving God who had every right to throw them away decided to save them not based on anything that they had done. We should labor and love to make sure that our brothers and sisters in Christ understand this about God so that they're not burdened. They're not burdened by that false theology. They're not burdened by that false condemnation. But that they can have the freedom and the security, which we'll, we'll talk about later, but the security of knowing the love of Christ and how he has chosen to particularly redeem them. I, when I was first introduced to the Doctrines of Grace, when I first started reading it and seeing, 
first of all, I began to see, well, I mean, I saw the truth, but like I began to see it just everywhere and everything where I previously had not seen it. And it's not because it was not there and then someone said something and now all of a sudden I'm reading into what what they told me about. It wasn't that, it was that I saw it rightly. Um, but it also made me see my own faith. It, it made me see church, it made me see Christianity, it made me see the world differently. It was a worldview change because I saw God in my relation to Him like that. I didn't, I, I, it, it was, and honestly, like I really wasn't all that super excited about, about Christianity. Um, there was always some part that there was, there was some, something felt amiss. Something didn't seem right. Like this is post-salvation. Like I don't think that I was not genuinely saved, but like something seemed weird. And it was one of those things where it was like whenever you're whenever it was shared with me, whenever I, whenever I really saw it and came to understand what it was, it was almost like, it was almost to a degree like, a, as, well, of course, you know? Right. It's like, well, of course it is. Of course that's it. Of course that's it. Like, you know? logical explanation. It was like I had met a friend that mm -hmm. I had previously forgotten, if that makes any sense. I right. mean... You know what I'm saying? I know that's kind of weird, but it was like, oh, right, yeah. Yeah. This has always been the case. Of yeah. course it has. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And there's a whole lot of joy in all of that. I mean, that, it's good. I, it's, I have nothing but positive, you know? When we talk about unconditional election, some people would think that that's makes God look awful or limited atonement. Oh, how dare he? Right. It's like, you don't, you're not seeing it rightly. Yeah. These, these are the things that, uh, for me, uh, anchor down my soul and uh, makes life a lot easier to live and worth living and pursuing God. Right. So. Yeah, that God didn't just throw out his blood like confetti, uh, who, whoever it lands on. Yeah. He sought me out in particular. Right. And, and no pressure because it wasn't because I was performing well. Right. I don't have to keep it. Right. I don't have to keep his attention. It's not like he all of a sudden glanced and saw me and now I have to, you know, like mm -hmm. keep his his uh, 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 attention. It's not like that. I did right. nothing. I was nothing and did nothing and he and made And he me still something. sought me out. Right. Actively. And nothing I can do changes that. 